Good afternoon and welcome to this Euractive debate on gender equality in the workforce, how to build on recent progress to achieve true parity. Our event today is supported by Zurich and you can follow the debate at hashtag EA debates and tweet your comments using the hashtag. Our social media team uh, will respond. Uh, to ask questions, go to the chat section and use the ask button. I'm Brian McGuire, I'll be uh, leading the discussion today. Gender equality is a core value of the EU, a fundamental right and a key principle of the European pillar of social rights. The EU is a global leader in gender equality. 14 of the top 20 countries for gender equality worldwide are EU member states. But overall, the index finds that no country has achieved full gender equality. No surprise there. Women are still underrepresented in the labour market with a 12% gender employment gap and women also earn less than men per hour and the gender pay gap in the EU stands at 16%. It has barely changed in the last decade. The gender pension gap is even higher at 30%. The European Commission's gender equality strategy includes legislative proposals for achieving pay transparency and key to this progress is the equal sharing of care responsibilities. So today we discuss how EU member states can achieve full gender equality in the workplace and support this ambition outside of the EU as well. Uh, we have a big panel with us today, um, we have six speakers, uh, starting with uh, Katerina Ivankovic uh, Knezovic. She's the Director of Social Affairs at DG Employment at the European Commission. Uh, Karen uh, van der Kerkova, she's the Head of Unit at Gender Equality at DG Just, the European Commission. Uh, MEP Stelios uh, Kimpopoulos, he's a member of the Employment Committee at the European Parliament. Julia Balbucci, she's the Vice President of European Economic and Social Committee. Joanna Maycock, Secretary General of the European Women's Lobby. And Katja Roth-Palanda, Group uh, General Counsel at Zurich. Good afternoon to all of you. Thanks so much for taking the time uh, to be with us. Uh, we are going to kick off with 60 seconds uh, elevator pitch, your, your key message for today. And after that, uh, we'll go into a discussion and our uh, audience can also send questions as, as soon as they like. And we'll put those uh, to the panel during the course of the conversation as well. So, Catherine, you want to kick off with your 60 seconds? Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to, to be with you today. And thank you, Brian, for, for moderating this wonderful panel. So, uh, why, well, the question is, why are we still here? And it's obviously for the, for the reason and for the fact that despite all the progress that we have made uh, in, in the last decades, the gender inequalities in employment and pay are still persisting. We see that on all three gaps, uh, the employment gap, the pay gap, the pension gap, and rightly, as you pointed out, the pension gap is, is, is still extremely high. It, it goes uh, from 30, but in some member states it reaches more than 40%. So while the gaps are still persisting, we will have to continue working very hard in order to, to correct it. Uh, the point uh, that I would like just to make in this introduction, introduction uh, part is that despite the, uh, beside the gender equality strategy, uh, few weeks ago, actually two weeks ago, we have published, uh, we have adopted an important document which is called an action plan on the European pillar of social rights. And this action plan sets some important uh, uh, targets that we want to reach uh, up until 2030. One of them is also referring to the employment rate and uh, uh, with a sub-target that is referring to the gender employment gap. And indeed, we are striving to have at least, to at least halve the gender employment gap by 2030. So I would stop here and there will be plenty of opportunity to further discuss. 
There will be. Thank you, Karen. Uh, Katerina. Karen, uh, over to you, 60 seconds. Yes, thank you and good afternoon to everybody. I'm happy to be here and um, I think it's um, a good time indeed because I think it's unprecedented times, I think, for women's rights Yeah, um, at EU level. Uh, I think gender equality has never been so high on the political agenda. We have a first time for the first time a commissioner for equality including gender equality and we have for the first time a gender balanced leadership at eu level so this is quite unprecedented uh, at the same time uh, we have uh, a pandemic a pandemic that has painfully brought to light the large inequalities that still persist uh, and that um, Women are hit hard on the labor market. Women are hit as victims of violence. Women are lacking in all those bodies that take decisions uh, regarding the pandemic. So this shows um, the urgency, I would say, of all the actions we have foreseen under the gender equality strategy. It was adopted one year ago, just before the pandemic. Uh, but actually, it's uh, uh, all its actions are just extremely relevant and uh, the last year shows why. So the recovery should be uh, women-led and women-inclusive, and um, I think we have a lot of work to do. Thank you, Karen. Stelios, over to you, 60 seconds. Thank you very much, Vernon, from the outset. I would like to thank uh, your acting for the invitation to speak at such a timely and important issue. The European Union, since its conception, has been a project based on the quality of opportunity allowing all citizens to reach their full potential in a peaceful and prosperous continent. Women are at the core of that vision and enabling women to reach higher and go further has been a European ideal for decades. This is something that we at the EEP group have underlined in the context of our most recent position paper on gender equality. Unfortunately, we still have a long way to go to address gender inequality in the workplace, not only on issues of payment and career progression in the workplace, but more critically on how to ensure a safer workplace. In this regard, I strongly support the efforts on building an inclusive economy which encourages women's employment and their entrepreneurship. At the same time, COVID-19 has once again shown the extra burden a woman are faced with. We need to be mindful of the multiple roles and the appropriately implement the existing EU and national legislation to ensure work-life balance. Last but not least, we need to be clear that harassment is not acceptable at the workplace, as well as a clear strategy to address the issue. Um, I leave it at uh, that as an introduction and I look forward to the discussion. Stelios, Joanna, 60 seconds. Yes, uh, thank you very much. So you rightly said at the beginning, Brian, that uh, we've really stopped progressing on women's rights and gender equality in the European Union for about for more than a decade. But we our members, women's organisations across Europe, continue to report to us on the devastating impact of the COVID pandemic on women and girls and on women's rights. So we can also see the COVID pandemic as a wake up call 
which has actually brought to the forefront inequalities in our society, particularly the inequalities between women and men. And we've seen the impact a decade of austerity measures had and how that impacted our public services in which the majority of workers are women and uh, the services on, upon which women uh, depend. So we can't let this happen again. Looking forward, we absolutely need to make sure that the recovery strategy coming out of COVID puts women and girls at its heart and make sure that women and girls do not pay the price of the long-term socioeconomic consequences of the pandemic. Between lost earnings, lost job, jobs, the uneven distribution and extra burden of childcare and other care responsibilities, and the increase uh, in violence against women and girls, women are at breaking point and we expect actions. So the COVID recovery, our aim cannot be just stopping inequality from increasing due to the huge recession that people are predicting. But we actually need to seize the opportunity to bring transformational change to advance equality between women and men. And that means recognizing the contribution that women make um, to the economy, to the society and in decision making, including uh, care. So yeah, we need a gendered recovery. We need a bold new care deal for Europe. We need to put women at the heart of decision making in companies, in politics and in designing the recovery. And we need to we need action to fight violence against women and girls. I look forward to the debate. Thank you, Joanna. Julia, 60 seconds. Yes, can you? I, hello. Yeah, we can hear you. I think we lost you for a moment earlier. We can hear you now. Yes, Go exactly. Ahead. I got lost. Sorry. So thank you for this invitation. I'm very happy to share with you uh, this uh, issue. And uh, I would also like uh, to ask um, ourselves uh, how long uh, it will take for achieving gender equality and gender balance. You know that uh, women uh, are uh, mostly occupied in uh, uh, more precarious jobs uh, and are less paid and of course have also less uh, possibilities than men but at the same time women perform far more unpaid and invisible work than men. So we have to take into consideration this. And I also agreed with my previous uh, uh, panelists uh, that say that uh, gender equality must permeate national recovery plans, macroeconomic policy and global development. The recovery plans are an opportunity to enact structural change for gender equality because uh, the pandemic has aggravated, as you know very well, the gender equality in our society. Um, I am, uh, so as origi originally I am a, a trade unionist, so I am very uh, interested in jobs. Uh, and I also think that this proposal of the European Commission, the, the, the proposal for a directive uh, for pay transparency is a good start to, to tackle the gender pay gap. And however, this uh, uh, proposal still requires some, some fine tuning uh, to be really effective. For example, in the world of uh, SMEs, uh, which correspond, as you know, uh, to the 90% of uh, Europe's economic activity. So, and just to finish, I would also like to say that the real parity does, uh, can only be achieved uh, uh, through binding measures and also establishing uh, quotas in all sectors and in all companies and in all institutions. Thank you very much for your attention. Julia, thank you. Finally, Katya, 60 seconds. 
<laughs> Thanks a lot. Hello, everyone. For Zurich, ensuring gender equality is not only a matter of fairness, but also a way to achieve business outcomes and goals. Zurich is taking its responsibility as a company with initiatives such as an annual audited review of equal pay for equivalent work. But we also have other strategies and tools implemented, such as a network for females. We try to remove every barrier. We speak, our senior people speak frequently to share experiences and stories so that females can, can adapt and can see what others have done and learn. We also have, of course, a zero tolerance approach to harassment and discriminatory treatment. As my the speakers before me has already said, COVID-19 has made the situation worse. There is an increased burden of unpaid care, which has pushed some women out of the labor force, while some mothers are reducing hours or pausing careers. At the same time, women are overrepresented in occupation and sectors hit especially hard during the pandemic. There is also evidence of increased mental health issues due to the pandemic, and women appear to be among the most effective, which also puts their career at risk. I want to add to what the others have already said, that for Zurich, it seems to be important that, there, that full gender equality can only be achieved by public-private cooperation. So everyone needs to step up, and one alone cannot achieve enough. Thanks a lot, and I'm looking forward to the debate. Thank you, Katya. Katerina, you, how do we get anywhere close to parity without quotas, which I know is, is blocked at the moment, uh, but how do, we, how do we do that? And what role do transparency uh, and uh, binding accountability have to play in this, uh, this path? Katerina. Well, thank you, Brian. I'm sure that uh, Karen, whose proposal this is, might uh, might fit in uh, much better. I can only speak from well. I can speak from the employment social policy side, and uh, we see and we welcome very much the proposal of the draft directive. We know that uh, you know in the past we have seen similar uh, uh, tries and uh, similar success or failures. I have to say and be very frank with all of us but uh, it really it really is a step forward and and i'm sure in in this respect and with this step forward and also by promoting the gender mainstreaming by securing indeed that our policies and actions do take on board this uh, uh, aspect fully and that we do not preach just uh, uh, gender mainstreaming but that we really implement it in the, in the policies also with some other uh, uh, mainstreaming uh, exercises if i may say so uh, like the disability mainstreaming taking taking care as the commission has decided uh, with the whole union of equality to have uh, the intersectional approach meaning that really when we look at the person we take on board all of the different identities and the different aspect that per per person is facing and if we continue with a disability mainstreaming and the gender mainstreaming we might we might get closer to to the parity but you are right and i would i would uh, fully agree that maybe those who have introduced quotas and we have seen 
quota systems working in some member states. We know that, for example, for the employment of the persons with disabilities, uh, some member states have very successful quota where if you employ more than certain uh, number of, of uh, employees, you need to have a certain number or percentage of persons with disabilities. Uh, maybe the time the time to reflect on, on this question is, is uh, coming. So I'm also ha very happy and looking forward to, to the current uh, thoughts and ideas about the pay transparency. Thank you, Karen. The, the idea that this is going to move smoothly when there's been so much historical opposition to women's equality in the legislative process, uh, what, are you optimistic this is going to be different this time? I think um, if you work on women's rights, you need to be an eternal optimist, no? <laughs> um, uh, for sure. For sure, I'm. I'm. I'm not going to predict it will be different this time. But I think um, it is very clear, um, particularly on the decision-making side. I think it's very clear there is no change without legislative intervention, and that is shown across all the data that you can see in the in in the EU. Uh, we remain stuck at 29% of representation of women in um, the boards of the largest uh, listed companies only, you can imagine, uh, for the others. We remain at like 8% of CEOs across Europe. This is just not credible yeah in in in, in a society um and and i would like to somehow also um um, dispel the, the misgivings that exist around quota. Around quota is not about um, uh, getting uh, incompetent people in in a post. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's this, the legal regime in the Europe is is in Europe is quite strict. You need people of equal merit, and only when people are of equal merit and you have a male and a female candidate, you may, as a positive action, promote the or uh, give preference to the female candidate, but the basic line is that they are of equal equal um, merit. So, so I think there are a lot of misgivings about what quota actually are, and perhaps we should rather talk about targets or something something similar. Um, and as you know, we still pursue this directive. We 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 don't give up, um, um, and we we definitely hope that things will be will be moving uh, in the not so far, hopefully, and uh, not so far future. As to pay transparency, um, uh, here it's equal pay has been in the treaty since 1957. And you see that when there you have this very broad principle to which everybody agrees, yeah, uh, when you look at pr in practice how it is implemented, you realize that truly it's not that easy to know what it really means. What does it mean to pay someone equally for doing the same work? What does it mean? And it's not only about individual, an individual that in a particular case, an individual woman who is being paid less of the man sitting in the office next to her doing the same work or work of equal value. So it's not only about these cases of individual discrimination, but it's really about the, the bias that is in embedded in pay setting structures um, 
And that has historically grown like that. It's often not even conscious, not even intentional. Um, and so, but isn't it, isn't this exactly the do... problem? It's it's not necessarily intentional because this is a cultural exactly. uh, behavior. And as Commissioner Vestager said, I think it was on uh, Women's Day as well. You know, men have had an informal quota forever. And to address that yes. balance, uh, men need to take a back seat and allow everything for women for the next 70 years. That's how imbalanced the system is right now. Um, you know, I, I take the point that you need to be an internal optimist with this as well, but uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, was exactly that, an internal optimist. And to, to give her, her, her credit, um, I ask for no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. I would like to see that perhaps on the next uh, European Commission uh, policy document related to gender equality. Maybe the message will go through a little more clearly. Julia, uh, you know, Iceland already does this with pay transparency, equal, equal pay for equal work. It's mandated uh, for companies uh, to provide this. It's structured. And uh, there is a, is a way forward, just like uh, Karen was saying, you, you have to be able to see uh, what's happening. And it, it, talking about quotas is maybe uh, an awkward thing, but if it's data-based and the candidates are of equal uh, capability, uh, there's a way forward with this. How long will it take us to get, uh, get uh, the data ready for these decisions to be taken in a fair and consistent way, Julia? So, thank you very much. Um, I think that uh, to achieve uh, uh, really gender equality in employment, uh, uh, it is uh, necessary uh, to end to the horizontal segregation uh, because, uh, you know, women have to be uh, valorized for the work they perform in uh, many cases in, uh, domi in female dominated uh, sectors and at the same time at the same time we have to practice uh, gender neutral hiring so i think that it is uh, <clears throat> really necessary to improve transparency and fairness in job evaluation uh, systems and taking also decisive uh, uh, measure to our, to realize uh, pay transparency in all spheres of the work to enforce uh, uh, the principle uh, of equal pay for equal work or work of equal value. It is a question, it is an issue of justice. And I also think that uh, in those countries where the collect collective bargaining is uh, very well developed, it is uh, maybe easier to, <clears throat> to go on with this uh, uh, pay transparency. Okay, so I Stelios also... about this as well. Stelios, if this is a question of justice, why are we having to deal with trade unions to get this done? Why is this not something which is uh, rigidly, strictly enforced through the courts and uh, where there is a failure to comply with this, this uh, requirement? You know, Karen was saying this has been in the treaties for a very long time. Why is this not rigorously prosecuted through the courts? Stelios. Thank you, but I comment yeah, very easy to answer on this question. I think that uh, it is a multi-level problem that we must, that we must, uh, we should, we should face all, all, all together. Uh, from my point, as uh, another speaker, a speaker said, it is really unacceptable to have women paid less for the same roles than they 
many peers, but also not having access to information on the reasons behind these uh, disparities. In this regard, as I said previously, the Bay Transparency Measures proposal is a very good first step. And because I am optimistic, I believe so that we can we can do better. As Parliament, we will scrutinize the proposal and come up with a report that uh, increases uh, transparency, but also improves access to justice, to justice for victims of uh, pay uh, discrimination. On the other hand, we need to urge company boards to apply transparent selection criteria for candidates and to favor the, and the, the desired sex when there is a choice between two equally qualified uh, applicants. So okay. I, uh, we think, I think that it's legislative, legislative private, uh, private sector, uh, and also it's a political issue. Simon Weil said, the equality is the public recognition effectively expressed in institutions and manners of the principle that an equal degree of attention is due to the needs of all human beings. Joanna, you know, Angela Merkel said on, uh, on Women's Day that in terms of COVID, uh, that the, the lion's share of uh, this the caring system is, is still massively on, on uh, with women, and this has got to change. You know, we have Christine Lagarde saying that uh, changing the the ECB uh, culture is very difficult and very slow. You have Angela Merkel, the Chancellor for so many years, still uh, lamenting the lack of progress uh, as well. You know, how do we change this care uh, responsibility for care structure as well? Because this is one of the fundamental elements uh, that underpins the overall change. Don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to just pick up on what Karen said. Um, actually, what's in the Treaty of Rome is equal pay for work of equal value. And that question of value is really, really important. And actually, what we find is that women's contribution, women's work, women's contribution to society is consistently undervalued or second place. So that we're talking about deep structural changes that are needed to address that. So we need to start thinking about the value we place on women, women's contribution, the value we place on care, both the unpaid care, which predominantly falls on the shoulders of women, um, and, um, and also the paid uh, work in the case care sectors. We know that more than 75% of health workers in Europe are women, uh, more than 90% of childcare workers are women. Um, the vast majority of workers across the care sectors, including uh, elder care or care for persons with disabilities, are women. Often also women who are uh, themselves minoritized in some way in, in, uh, in society, so migrant women or women who've moved across borders in Europe. They're really consistently underpaid, very often on precarious contracts, very vulnerable to uh, to unemployment or being shifted between between jobs. And until we start recognizing that care is not an afterthought to the economy, but is actually the heart of society and that the contribution of women and the importance of care is really the backbone of society. Nothing else works if we don't put care at the center. So we're talking about really a shift in thinking about the economy, not as growth and GDP and, and production, but actually about well-being and care and putting the care of, of ourselves, of each other and the planet at the center of the picture, really measuring our economies on that basis. 
And COVID presents an opportunity to do that because I think all of us have been forced to rethink what care is and how important it is in our societies and our world, how important health is, how important childcare is, how important elder care is. And we really need to really create an economy for the 21st century and a society for the 21st century with care, with women at their heart. And women for that need to be part of the decision-making processes. That means they need to be included. Let me put this to Katya. Yes, let me put this to Katya and Nizel. First of all, diversity on the board means profitability by and large as well. This is this is well documented. Statistics are there to, to show it. So you know, as a, it's a fundamental corporate failure to have a lack of diversity on your board. And that we yeah, we still see that seven point five percent of of boards uh, uh, executive level are 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 women. This is a massive disparity and a massive failure for for corporate uh, capacity productivity and even we don't need to put in social justice terms. So how do you at Zurich see this? How do you see this in terms of um, an economic argument aside from from the justice, uh, Katja? Absolutely, I completely agree with you. It's also and even more so an economic argument and and I'm really proud about Zurich to to, to say because we have more than 50% of our females, of our board members are females. So I think at Zurich we we, we stand quite well. But as the speakers before said, I think it's really it's it's a company and economic point of view and it's a societal point of view. I think for companies we can start already with the hiring. We should make sure that we have part that we offer every job part-time, that we have an equal hiring slate so that we have the same amount of female and male candidates, that the interview panel is occupied with females and males. I think also that we need to have like a flex work, which is important to help females. But then as my speakers before me said, it's also and even more so a society question. I think it helps also females if there is a parental leave so that also dads can take time off and that we recognize that it's also very good if fathers stay at home. So I think it's really, we need to find a balance between push females more to have more executive position met by, by females to have quotas. I'm in favor for quotas, but at the same time, I feel we really need to recognize that the, the people who stay at home to take care of the children, that this is really very important and valued work as well. And I think this later part sometimes gets forgotten in our society. Thank you. Uh, Karen, in, in terms of education, if we're going to change society's approach to this, there's got to be an educational role uh, here too. What does the strategy say about how we change uh, through education? Yes, I think uh, all these inequalities that we have been hearing and listening to in the labor market, um, in violence, in decision making, wherever, all of them are based on this kind of stereotypes that exist in our society, our societies, our cultures. What do we expect from women? And what do we expect from man? And um, so they, these are at the at the basis of of all these inequalities. And so if you want to go really um, to really tackle the inequalities, uh, whatever measures we will take will not be um, uh, successful if we also not at the same time tackle these stereotypes. And that's actually what we in the strategy um, propose. We propose that to tackle these stereotypes, we envisage 
launch and we are working on the preparation of um, um, a campaign, a campaign that will uh, focus in particular on youth uh, because that's where you start changing um, uh, these uh, stereotypes and biases um, that, that we all have still in our society. So um, we have an EU-wide campaign that we will launch um, hopefully by the end of this year or next year, um, but which we hope in an event will really be um, extended and translated and taken over uh, more largely because that's that's why, where we will get the change from. You're right. Thank you. Uh, please, uh, to our audience, keep sending questions. We have uh, some in already. We'll come to those in just a moment. But And if you want to address a specific question to one of the panelists in particular, uh, please mention that uh, in your question as well. And we'll come back to those in just a moment. Katarina, let's stay on the education side for a moment as well. What needs to be done in terms of translating these aspirations into uh, an inherent attitude within Europe? Let's start with Europe. Katarina. Well, you know, <laughs> Brian, you have asked a very wide question. Yes, do you hear me? Yes, I do. Do you hear me? Yes, we can hear. Okay, perfect. Thanks. Sorry, I, I've been having huge problems with the uh, with the connections the whole day. So, and uh, and I just said that you really asked uh, very difficult questions to reply because it goes so it goes so widely and. Uh, education, as Karen has mentioned, is extremely important. I can tell you what we are doing for the moment. Uh, for example, uh, we are just about to, to uh, uh, adopt another initiative at, at the college, which is uh, the European Child Guarantee. In European Child Guarantee, we pay particular access, uh, particular attention to access of children in need, and children in need are children uh, at risk of poverty and social uh, exclusion into different uh, different areas and different services, including uh, education early, but starting from early childcare education, education and then health nutrition, which is not really relevant for this discussion. But this part for inclusion in the education is extremely important because we, indeed we need to start from the early age. There are two different elements that we need in mind. One is definitely uh, securing that parents can work so that we have sufficient number of preschool institutions, that we have a sufficient and well-run uh, educational systems with a quality quality education and, and quality care for children, that children can also take part in out-of-school uh, activities, either organized by school or uh, in some different manners, in order really to have the possibility for parents to work. Uh, another important aspect that we see that is very problematic in, in all member states, I would dare to say, is that uh, very often the working hours of uh, institutions are not, uh, educational uh, institutions are not in line with the needs uh, of parents, are not in line with the working hours of parents. And this is something what needs to be changed. Then uh, we also, Karen knows that very well because we negotiated together the Work-Life Balance Directive where we introduced um, for the first time in the EU the parental leave where fathers can take, uh, not can, will have to take some sometimes off when the child is born. It's, it's only, well only, it's 10 days, but even if for some it, it seems like only 10 days, it was very difficult uh, to negotiate even those 10 days. And we also look forward to the better distribution between the work, uh, uh, between the, the 
family responsibilities between men and women and our colleagues as, as Kat, uh, okay. Karin has said uh, are invested a lot into it well I touched only some elements not to mention the minimum <laughs> income the minimum wage the long let's, let's, let's go back to minimum wage after I want to touch more a bit more I want to touch more on the economic side a little bit later on as well. Julia, just to stay on education as well, uh, you know, with the, the murder in, in London, by uh, allegedly by the police officer uh, this week as well, making the headlines and the outpouring of, of um, bitterness that, that came from this too. Some of the things that struck me from uh, the comments I read uh, were, uh, educate your son. Don't, it's not about educating your daughter to do this or do that to protect yourself, but educate your son. This is not acceptable. Uh, this kind of behavior, this um, macho attitude uh, that persists in society as well. Uh, Julia, how, how do we educate uh, society in general to not be tolerant and uh, not accept macho behavior, which ultimately leads uh, perhaps to murder, but more uh, frequently leads to harassment um, and to sexual assault? Yes, thank you very much for this question. It's not easy to answer, but I just can say that uh, as someone already has said that uh, we need uh, um, to introduce uh, changes in our culture uh, to break down uh, gender stereotypes. Uh, this is the most important thing. It depends uh, on all of us. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, um, it depends on the families, on it depends on the parents, it depends on <clears throat> the spread culture of the uh, society, and so I think that uh, uh, this is something that politics have to uh, handle uh, in a way. Um, <clears throat> of course, uh, there is also the fact that how the society is structured because uh, if women have the the role of uh, um, taking care of uh, people so children all uh, father or mothers um, people uh, uh, ill people and, and everything so i mean uh, this is not uh, this is not right because of course uh, uh, we need uh, instead uh, a, a systematic approach at your level to care policies. Uh, and uh, you know that in some countries there is a lack of uh, social care uh, um, institutions and so and bodies. So, uh, so the the burden of care uh, it is. Uh, for the most uh, to 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 women's uh, shoulders, so this has uh, to be changed, I think. Uh, okay. And uh, you know, the the pandemic has, of course, uh, aggravated uh, this uh, situation. Okay, thank you. Uh, I want to come to Catherine just a moment to talk about entrepreneurship and, and opportunities, particularly to finance uh, for women as well. But Stelios, uh, you're a psychiatrist, and uh, when we talk about education and and uh, changing behavior in society, especially to do with attitudes uh, towards uh, sexuality, which you specialized in, and and how we shift this mentality to base women's rights uh, in part on men's acceptance of them as well. What needs to change from your perspective? Well, I think that uh, the, the aspect of education is the most uh, 
uh, the most vivid and the, the issue that it's in core, core of the tender stereotypes. If we try, if we work hard uh, during we see a meditation, uh, I think that we can silence gender stereotypes. Uh, this is your way to allow girls and women to to dream very big, uh, to fulfill their aspirations and uh, realize their uh, potential. Uh, we are living in an area that yeah, there is not there is not limit. Uh, with the support of uh, the help of uh, AI, of uh, digital area, and all these kind of uh, uh, support that exists from the technology, uh, we can uh, change the mind that girls and women are also uh, acceptable and they have the abilities to do everything. Uh, as I said, we should about relevant policies and programs to improve interpersonal skills for women and uh, break away from the stereotype that uh, some jobs are only for men. Uh, okay. And, uh, I think that I think that uh, I think that uh, because we talk about uh, education, uh, also we can support these ideas from from uh, wide campaigns as. Uh, EDP has uh, taken initiative uh, uh, for European Day of Worker Life Balance on uh, okay. the 20th of March. Thank you. Thank you, Stelios. Uh, Joanna wanted to make a comment, and we'll go to Katja. Joanna. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to come back on the question you asked about violence against women and the tragic murder that, uh, that happened in, in the UK last week. Um, more than 50 women are actually murdered every week in Europe by their partner or former partner. This is something which should be, uh, you talked about, Brian, you talked about women feeling bitter or an outpouring of bitterness. We're not bitter. We are really, really angry. And it's time for urgent action. It's just no longer acceptable and has never been acceptable that women and girls live uh, with violence, in fear of violence uh, uh, at the hands of men. And we need absolutely concrete action. Yes, we need education, but we also need legislation and we need justice. So we need our police and our judicial systems to actually implement laws that genuinely protect women from street harassment, from stalking, from online violence, um, from rape, from prostitution. And frankly, in Europe, we do not have the right legislative environment for, um, for correct action to take place. So we really need much more than just education. Education matters, uh, but so does justice. And Stelios rightly talked about the impact of violence on women in the workplace. So that means sexual harassment at work, but also the impact of domestic violence and the wider culture and continuum of male violence against women, which impacts on, on all women. So we'd really like to see the EU take um, significant action, first to ratify the Istanbul Convention, but to go further than that and introduce a directive that really addresses all forms of male violence against against women and girls, including sexual harassment, including sexual exploitation, including digital violence. And we're really looking forward to working with the Commission and the other institutions on introducing this uh, this new uh, legislation in the coming years, which has been long, long overdue. Thank you. 
Thank you. Just on the word bitterness, I use this in the context of, of anger and the sense, but I do think there's a, a notifiable difference in terms of how men perceive this in general. With the comments that I saw, it's yes, this is a justice thing. Yes, it's bad, but I don't. I just don't see the same um, the same uh, anxiety with men, which I, I think should be there. And that men don't, the comments that I read, men deal with this in a different perspective. They don't personalize this in the same way that women do because women are the victims in this instance. And perhaps I think this is one of the reasons why men don't take this serious enough to change it quickly. If it was reversed, if men were suffering this, if men felt bitter or hard done uh, by anything in society, they, it would, uh, the action would be taken much more quickly. Uh, so uh, just just on that, but the the idea that uh, women can progress without a broad uh, change in society, I think we can deal with again. But the in terms of opportunity, I want to switch a little bit more to the opportunity side of of this discussion now. Katja, women don't get access to finance when it comes to entrepreneurship. Venture capital funding for women is about seven point one percent in Europe. This is uh, something which comes, again, from all the elements we've, we've discussed. It's this informal quota. It's this boys' network of who you know. It's not necessarily a, a conscious exclusion, but it exists. How do we correct that and give up, uh, women the opportunity? Do we need a positive uh, enforcement of, of financing for women in Europe as well? Yes, I completely agree. I think we need to have enforcement of, of finance for women and I also accept that there needs to be some diversity as said in my statement note I think during gender equality is not really a matter of fairness it's really a matter of of uh, of business development and business outcomes and I don't know whether you know but um, for example the woman matter report by McKinsey found in 2018 that the closing the gender gap could raise Western Europe's annual GDP by 2.1 trillion by 2025. I think this clearly shows that a more equal world would be a more productive and profitable one. So I completely agree, yes, absolutely. Uh, from Zurich's perspective, how do you see it in terms of economic mechanics uh, like uh, minimum wage or, or other incentives uh, in terms of, of financing childcare? How, uh, are there models which you think should be followed to enable this? the model which we have that we have gender um, equal pay transparency and that we audit it every year I think that's a good start but in addition I think it would be really important that the companies work together and share their experience and what works best for them I think for us as said the transparency in, in, in payment is one topic and as said before the hiring the flexible work, the part-time possibility, the permanent leave, these are all tools in which we believe very much. But but we also think that we should share more our experiences and also enter into public-private partnerships. Okay, Karen, 2.1 trillion euros by 2025 missing from the economy because we don't value women sufficiently within the workplace. You know, how quickly can we get this uh, transparency? Uh, and you know, are you concerned that uh, pay, equal pay transparency and the auditing of it, as Katya mentions as well, gets fudged somehow because uh, employers' federations uh, perhaps are not too keen uh, on the, the short-term uh, implications of that? Yes. 
I think, I hope we have been uh, able to show with the proposal and we made also an impact assessment accompanying that proposal. I hope that we have been able to show that there are substantial benefits to be derived from pay transparency. Uh, benefits in terms of productivity, keeping the, uh, your workforce, keeping your workforce motivated um, and um, um, attracting uh, female talent to your company. And at the same time, the measures that we have proposed, and I must say we have really carefully uh, designed them, let's say, because you should, we should all acknowledge that it, this was not an evident time to come with a proposal. Um, on the one hand, we see that women have been hit so hard in the pandemic. On the other hand, also certain sectors of the economy are also seriously hit in the pandemic. So we designed these measures very carefully and we've really looked at the costs and benefits of those measures. And frankly speaking, the measures that we propose, we truly believe they are not really costly. They are not disproportionately costly. Um, uh, of course, the measures are not the same. Um, they are based and inspired by measures that exist at the national level. Um, but if you take a country like, for instance, Germany, where you have a right, an individual worker has a right to request information on his or her pay, um, the the cost of replying to such a request is twenty uh, euros. I mean. It's only indicative, of course. The cost of doing an, an audit, like uh, Zurich was mentioning, um, is more expensive. And we have chosen for a mechanism that can be done, a joint assessment that is done jointly by workers' representatives and employers. So, which is less expensive. So, I think we have done everything we can to, um, to balance the measures and to hopefully um, convince employers that there is merit in this and in the longer term, this is something beneficial. But for sure, up to now, I don't think we have um, um, much of the support from the business world and I hope it will come. Let me ask you, I want to go to some questions in just a second, but Karen, just to stay on that for a second, why are business, uh, why is this lack of support from business persisting today? You know, as Katya said, the, the data is perfectly clear on this. If we're talking about rational people making rational decisions in the interests of their business and the economy, this should get done. What's, what's uh, your sense of opposition from the employers, Karen? Um, well, I think we've heard uh, many arguments. Um, um, I think there is this general kind of, um, I would call it unease uh, with the fact that there would be more transparency about uh, pay. Uh, now decisions about pay, pay setting mechanisms, they're all a bit hidden in a, in a kind of secrecy um, and therefore also so if they leave a lot of discretion to 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 employers and i think there is a kind of unease in 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 this reality that this would all be more transparent at least to a certain extent um, and i think that's the real the real underlying reason um, of course the arguments we have heard about costs and burden as i said we can show that truly we can do this in a way which is not really costly and burdensome we have heard concerns about um, uh, privacy uh, also there i think we can take measures that um, um, ensure that 
your individual salary will not be out there on the web okay. or will not even be let me let me come to that in just a moment as well workers I... so i think there are Sorry, I know there's a slight delay on, on, on this, Karen. Stelios, I'm going to take a question and I want to come back to you. You mentioned AI as well, which is something Commissioner Vestager mentioned in Women's Day as well, the role of technology in this. And I wonder um, how you think this applies in the context of what Karen said uh, about uh, anonymizing data and how, how we can uh, use tech for good in this instance as well. But let's go to a question from Esther Miriam Sent. Uh, Esther asks, which role do men have in supporting gender equality, which some of which you've touched on, for example, working in care jobs, working fewer hours, child care duties? Julia. Um, so Quick comments I think on that. that uh, yes, uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, yes, I, I, I completely agree that uh, it is uh, really important that men understand that this is not uh, a women issue. This is uh, an issue of everybody, and everybody, I mean, can uh, uh, take this, take a part on on on, on this. Uh, and I am sure that uh, new generations are uh, more uh, um, aware of uh, of this phenomena and also uh, more prepared on doing uh, their part uh, in the society in their society of course uh, as i have already said before uh, it is uh, a cultural uh, issue <clears throat> and of course uh, i also think that the pandemic has a, in a way uh, aggravated the the problem because uh, in a way uh, families men and women have, have, have to be uh, forced to stay home and of course, this was uh, com very complicated for women also because of uh, care uh, responsibilities. But at the same time, it was also uh, a problem uh, for um, what concerns uh, the, the gender-based uh, ba violence because, of course, uh, in the lockdown, uh, this uh, has brought uh, to an increase of cases yes. uh, like this. And of course, uh, this has much to do with uh, men. Thank you. Um, we've, uh, Katerina, maybe take this uh, quick answer in this uh, from Anonymous. Uh, a good question could be uh, how to prove, how do we prove and demonstrate that our invisible work is essential? So how do we, how do we prove that the invisible work, I think is referring to, to care uh, roles in particular, how can you prove the value of this? Katerina. Well, I think one of the core questions is what do we consider as the work of equal value? And I think uh, some of our panelists have, have mentioned many times what is uh, the work of equal value. And is I remember uh, uh, sometimes in, in early 2000s, long time ago, uh, the ILO did a study on the work of equal value and for me you know one of the most striking uh, uh, su not surprises but uh, facts was that for example the value according to the criteria they develop is, is a work of uh, a teacher and uh, i'm pretty sure that uh, we do lack 
such a, such evaluation. We do lack uh, really throughout the different uh, settlements and different environments understanding on what is the work of equal value. So this is just uh, one part of the equation. When it comes to the unpaid work or invisible work, uh, indeed, uh, uh, Karen knows it very well and our colleagues uh, in the commission, the AGE did a few years ago an analysis about unpaid work, which is, we know, 90% done by women. Uh, this unpaid work it really goes wide range from different uh, child caring or long-term caring responsibilities or uh, uh, different choices that or different tasks that women perform and uh, it's quite it's quite clear that uh, the equation is not fair to women in this respect okay also the other as the other aspect mentioned already today several times is uh, the professions which women choose and the professions in which women are which are uh, many many times times in low paid sectors with the low uh, salaries, salaries at the lowest scale. And if you want to go, for example, to the minimum income initiative, uh, minimum wage initiative, which has a strong uh, focus on on uh, women and uh, will have the uh, strong repercussion on, on women. Okay. Uh, even when we set the and when we are setting uh, minimum wages in, in in our different member states, it still doesn't help because it's still the minimum wage. And the problem is that we do not want women to work in the minimum wage sphere. Sure. We want women to, to work throughout uh, the, the payrolls, so to say. Thank you. Uh, Stelios, let's come to the, the tech-driven solutions here as well. Maybe Katya can uh, follow on this as well. Uh, how do you see AI as a solution here as well, or at least part of the solution? Stelios. Well, uh, I think that AI, it is very crucial issue for the future, but before I, uh, I answer your question, I really want to understand that if we don't uh, realize the deeper socioeconomic factors uh, which prevent uh, women from working and explore the limitation of uh, active employment policies with particular emphasis on large families or parents uh, with uh, disabled children. We can we we reach a point that it will be the same as we discussed at this moment. We will have a, a point that there will be gender stereotypes, uh, gender inequality, pay cut, uh, and, pay, uh, and therefore, we need to, first of all to understand what we have, what we have now, what we have, what we have today. But uh, for your question, I think that if we use uh, correctly the uh, AI, um, we can see miracles and we can see to to create a balance between uh, men and women and jobs. Thank you. Katya, part of the problem with AI is uh, who codes it? Who's behind the, the, the potential for bias at the beginning? And uh, your, your industry is a, a very data-driven industry, so you, you'll understand uh, the implications of perhaps the most other industries, really. So how do we ensure that we're not encoding bias at the beginning? And how do we use uh, AI for good to help solve this inequality issue? Yeah, thanks a lot for the question. I mean, you know, first, maybe let me say that I think the digitalization and the tech tools, they can help female 
in the workforce because it gives them more flexibility. But we as Zurich, we agree that it's we really need to be very careful to look at IE and whether it's in the benefit for the females or whether it's worsening their situation. So we have entered into a research cooperation with the Smith School of Enterprise and the Environment at the University of Oxford to better understand the challenges around digitalization of the workplace and workforce protection, and in particular also IE. I think it's really important also that we have the right governance around IE and that we think about what information we, we feed the IE tools, the algorithm, and I think it's really important that we get this right because the outcome might otherwise not be balanced and what, what might what hurt the female progression and, and workforce. Okay, uh, Karen, on the same point, you know, Commissioner Vestager touched on this as well. You, the Commission is bringing forward uh, more proposals on AI and, and the, the guiding principles, the ethics behind this as well. I'm not going to ask you to comment on the technicalities of that, but just in terms of the, the general use of uh, digitalization uh, in the workforce, in public sector as well, what role does this have to play uh, for the quality agenda? Um, well, I think I, I think indeed it was it was said already. I mean, it can be a big uh, play a big role in the sense that it helps uh, flexibilizing uh, jobs for women. But I think what is more important is the reverse of that question: is do we have today uh, among the female workforce do we have all the skills and competences uh, that are needed to be on board with this digital trend? And if you look at today, data say that it's like 90% of the jobs today require these um, um, uh, digital skills. And we come back to the stereotypes, yeah? Um, women uh, represent only, I think, 17% of the, um, uh, the in, in, in the studies. Uh, women still don't uh, you um, choose um, in the same, to the same extent as men for STEM professions. So we come back to the stereotypes uh, and, and that's where, where um, I think we need to work. So not only this digital transition will help women indeed in um, uh, being part of the labor market, but we need to ensure that they have all the skills and competences necessary to, to be part of that transition and not be left behind. Yeah, this is a critical element, uh, Katerina. You know, the, the idea that uh, being left behind as a consequence of stereotyping for uh, for young girls in particular, you know, I can't do this job because that's a man's job. Now, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, as president, has addressed this very clearly that all jobs are for women. You know, and the positive narrative on the communications that have to uh, be addressed now, how, uh, how do we in Europe address this with uh, young women and, and girls looking uh, for an aspiration for, the, for their career that they say, I can do that job, there's no reason why not? Katerina. Yes, indeed. And as president says, there is no job that indeed, and that there is no job that women can't perform. And we always use these examples of pilots or astronauts. Maybe we should start using different, different examples as well. And it's true, and it's very, very true. And uh, also, what uh, what my previous speaker said about uh, uh, education and skills. And if we link it uh, also with, the, with the, the, the debate and the discussion on the AI, and the point that 
yes, we are going to lose some jobs. Some jobs are going to be replaced. But what will we do in the meantime? So uh, in 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 the proposal of the action plan that that I mentioned uh, for the European Pillar of Social Rights, we have included one target which speaks about sixty percent of adult population in the uh, uh, some form of learning, uh, adult learning. In each year and this is i believe some, something that is crucial so we do need to think which jobs which professions are going to be lost and think about concrete people try to reskill them and upskill them in order that they can work on something else but when it comes to the young uh, young uh, to the girls and young women i believe we need to step up efforts at all at eu and the national levels in order to promote this true equality and really in a union of equality as we see it and, and just constantly remind women, uh, uh, young women and young girls that uh, they are uh, uh, and they should engage in the, in the, in the uh, professions which are still considered or which are not considered but visibly predominant by the, by the male population. And, uh, and also uh, we need to combat uh, not only educational stereotypes and not only uh, seeing the, the role of, of public institutions, but I think it's important to combat stereotypes in cultures, in tradition, in families, and, and really uh, engage all the stakeholders because without the support of the outside world, nothing could be done within the school systems. And then positive examples. I believe we should we should speak the annual uh, the annual awards or uh, biannual or whatever. Whenever we, we show the, the women power, whenever whenever we show that it is possible, I think these are these are the best example. And young yes, women also need someone. Into. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, Julia exactly about this as well because. You know, of course, it's a good thing that you highlight the success of women. Um, but I can think of too many examples where there's the Women's Award, and it's it seems like a consolation prize uh, because uh, the, the the judge or jury is so biased that in the end, uh, you know, ninety percent of the awards go to men or, or teams led by men, and then we have the Women's Award at the end. You know, how do we how do we deal with this this kind of communication narrative? And and just in terms of of uh, the digitalization of post-COVID, uh, Julia, you know, like Katerina said, upskilling and reskilling is a key part of how we develop our economy. So in terms of digitalization, post-COVID, how do we structurally change this without resorting to the need to uh, have positive role models as the, the guiding light for what we do? How do we structure this into the workforce now post-COVID? Yes, thank you very much, uh, Brian. I think that Katerina was right. I also think that it is really important to increase the number of women in STEM and uh, also provide the uh, digital liter literacy uh, of uh, girls. <clears throat> Why? Because uh, more uh, uh, female digital role models are of primary uh, importance in overcoming uh, exactly the stereotypes. And I would also like to underline another important thing uh, concerning uh, uh, artificial uh, inte intelligence. Uh, and uh, you know that the, um, I think that the presence of women 
uh, as uh, ICT uh, developers' uh, job may also help uh, uh, to overcome the gender bias that may be included in the design of a given technology and it is exactly what you have underlined and in the end yes in, in artificial intelligence intelligence can also be very useful in the care sector and also in the public administration to help people and in this case women to participate in the labor market but also assist, assisting women in care responsibilities thank you uh, katya we, we've spoken a lot about the, the legislative side the proposals that, that can drive things here as well uh, former commissioner uh, celia maelstrom she she calls on uh, European politicians in particular to refuse to sit on manals, all male panels as well. That's nothing to do with legislation. This is a, a cultural shift as well. At a corporate level, that's entirely uh, uh, doable. You know, how, do, how do we change the corporate culture to signal that it's not simply that we have uh, an example of a successful woman uh, in power or in the decision-making process or as in terms of STEM research, but that it's simply not acceptable to exclude women uh, from the forefront um, of uh, business or politics. I absolutely agree. I think what helps us feel as well in the corporate world is the acceptance of diversity and inclusion on a broader spectrum. I think in the end for companies and, and it's growing, it's not only about females, it's really about accepting that people are diverse, that there are diverse style of leadership, that there are diverse ideas, that there are diverse backgrounds. I think really the shift of this stereotype of male leader, maybe 55 gray hair European, this should be changing. And, and if this change, it helps as well the females to grow and to develop and to, to, to have better positions. I think diversity and inclusion, which is at the forefront of all companies, of many companies at the moment, and also within Zurich, helps a lot also the females. Thank you. I'm going to ask our panel uh, just to wrap up with their 30-second uh, final comments as well. Um, so, uh, Katarina, let's start with you. Final word. Well, my final word, besides uh, congratulating to all Irish St. Patrick Day today uh, uh, and, and uh, putting, putting the perspective back to, back to women, well, I believe until we do have those three gaps, which is employment and pay and pension gap, uh, we will have to step up all of our efforts. We will have to work. We will have to work harder. And uh, we have we see some positive uh, movements. We see that some gaps are being reduced. Uh, this is especially visible in the, in the in the employment and the pay gap. Obviously, still a lot to be done, and uh, it will it will take a quite a long time that we see the uh, consequences and that we see the positive aspects of the of the. Uh, but uh, uh, until until that they come, I, I believe we will keep strongly fighting for equality in all its senses. 
Thank, Thank you. you. As, as we know, St. Patrick famously chased all the snakes out of Ireland. Now we need uh, St. Patricia to get rid of all the misogynists, which I think is probably significantly more difficult. Uh, okay, Karen, 60, uh, 30 seconds, your word. Yes, very briefly. I think it's it's good to, to look at what the EU does for gender equality and how we try to steer and promote. But really, my message would be um, don't only look at the EU. Yeah? Look at what you yourself can do uh, as a state, as a city, as a region, as a village. Uh, um, at your home individually, I think it, it's really, in the end, it's a collective exercise. Yeah, we can only steer in certain directions with the competences we have at EU level, but I think um, we need everybody on board. Thank you so much. Stelios, 30 seconds. Thank you very much uh, for this brilliant discussion, Graham. Uh, I think that uh, uh, we, are, we are more. Uh, Thanks. I believe so that we take some minds of our, uh, of, of our people that are watching us at this moment. I think that this is the key point that we need to find from any position that we are to uh, to hope to create uh, to, 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 to to throw to throw down these uh, obstacles between men and, and women on the world environment. So uh, from the point of the dignity, from the point of the company, but also, and this is the basic aspect, from the point of society, we need to find for this uh, direction. Thank you very much. Serios, thank you. Julia, 30 seconds. Yes, uh, thank you very much, Brian. I would like to send my message, which is uh, that uh, women, who have made it uh, uh, to top positions uh, make uh, a pledge to uh, join existing mentoring networks in their own organization to enable other women to aspire and to work towards uh, similar careers or uh, to help setting up such a network where it uh, doesn't exist. Uh, this is, uh, for me, a gesture of solidarity, solidarity between women, and I also think that it can help uh, change the culture and help women uh, to uh, made, um, made up. Thank, Thank you. you. We didn't touch on mentoring today. Thank you. We didn't touch on mentoring today. I did an interview last week with uh, a young Spanish aeronautical engineer who's now working in the, the ultra-macho uh, marine world. Um, and she, she was saying mentoring was critical to her success. And uh, she sees this as a, a key dynamic in how, how her career will develop as well. Joanna had unfortunately had to go. So Katya, last word. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with Julia, Karen and Katerina and Stelios that the most important thing is that we have public-private partnerships, that we work together and collaborate learn from each other, share our stories, coaching, mentoring, secondments, everything. I think that's really important. Thank you. I picked my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter up from school just before I came here. I told her I was coming here to do a panel on uh, gender equality. She said, can I go? Can I speak? So you can send a question. And she said, I don't want to send a question. I have a voice. And I think uh, this summarizes exactly uh, the role for all of us, that we all have a voice. Uh, and uh, it's time that uh, this uh, question was answered and uh, set aside completely. Men have no excuse uh, not to participate fully, uh, vocally, 
and uh, to support uh, this change that is completely necessary. So let me thank our entire panel today, Katerina, Karen, Stelios, Julia, Joanna, and Katya for an excellent contributions. Uh, we had a, a broad discussion. Thank you to our audience uh, for the questions you sent through and all the comments as well. They will be noted and the social media team will respond uh, to those as well. And let me thank our team here in the office who you never get to see, but uh, without whom this doesn't happen. Tomalto, Jacques, Simona, and Anna as well. I'm Brian McGuire, I wish you a very good afternoon. And thank you to Zurich.